a Highline podcast. This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Hello, my friends. Um, This week's question we're starting with is, what is up? (laughs) What is up? Well played. What is up? Triple digits is is what is up. Oh, Hell yeah, mm. episode 100. Mm. What are we even doing here? How are you guys doing? We'll answer that question later. I'm so good. I'm feeling so well. I'm refreshed. I'm very good. Yes, renewed, excited. Yeah, Emily, how was summer camp for church? It was so good. We had 37 campers and Thea got to come to camp with Alex and I, and it was a blast. It was so good. I love camp and I'm already looking forward to next year. The Instagrams were so cute with Thea up All there. right. Thanks. Summer is her season. It's very nice. For anyone who's new, is. Thea is our first podcast baby. She is now just over a year old, right? Mm-hmm. That is correct. Oh, we're honored that she decided to be a child of the podcast. Absolutely. Um, what do you guys... <laughs> To be clear, neither of us are married to Emily. I realized that that sounded super weird for a second. <laughs> neither of us are married to Emily. She has her own husband. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, what are you guys drinking? Would you believe it? I'm double fisting it today. No. Yeah. Uh, it is insane Montana summer right now. I was telling you guys that it's uh, 107 here in Billings this afternoon. And uh, that's just unacceptable. So... When it comes to summer drinks right now, I am enjoying in a frosty glass, again from our friend Tyler in the Finley Brewing Company, I am enjoying the Brilliant City Blonde Ale. And uh, I actually haven't taken a sip of it, so... Take a sip. Cheers, friends. Live take. Oh. Oh, that is nice. That's like... Yeah? (laughs) Yeah. That is refreshing. It's like a nice... What I want to say is like it's it's like a, a shortbread cookie in a glass, and it's very nice. Oh, um, wait, what kind of beer was this one? I thought you said it was an IPA. No, this is a blonde ale. No. Oh, and then right next to that, with a nice stone of granite that I had sitting in the freezer, I have some whiskey on the rocks. This is a new whiskey to me. This is the fifteen-year Dalwhinnie, and it's a nice bright Highland Scotch, and uh. Let's just say things are going to get lit today, fam. Heck yeah. (laughs) It's a generous pour. Oh, boy. Emily, what about you? I am also two-fisting it. Um, I have a nice, really tall glass of sweet tea, and I am enjoying another tall, chilled glass of Blue Moon, classic Blue Moon. Can't go wrong with it. With an orange slice, of course. Great. Mm -hmm. It must have the orange slice. It has to. It has to. Um, I am also drinking a very summery drink. I made myself a newish cocktail. Uh, I bought some gin from Rainier, 
here in Washington, which is famous for its beer. Like it's famous for like being like a Bud Light of the Northwest. Yeah. But they now make a gin and uh, it smells really good. Mixed it with some grapefruit juice and some pastique LaCroix and a little bit of a garnish of uh, like sweetened Ooh. orange, like dried orange. It's good. And I, I hate how pretentious this is going to sound. I wish it was more complex tasting. Like it's good and refreshing, <laughs> but I wish there was like another something else in there. I don't know what. But as soon as you mentioned you have beer, my brain went to like putting an IPA in here and making it like a beer cocktail. I've never made one of those at home, but I've had them before and they can be really good. So maybe next time I make this, I'll do that. Mm. I love that. There you Cheers go. to that idea. Well, happy episode 100, you guys. Wow. 100. Celebratory. Wow. Even Jesus didn't make it this long. Okay. Weird flex. Well, I guess he did live more than two years. <laughs> yeah. So, but he didn't like produce this many episodes at least. Wow. Yeah. He only made four gospels. <laughs> <laughs> and barely that. They like copied from each other. And even if anyway. you if you want to go really big, even he only made sixty six <laughs> books of the Bible. So who's winning now? Okay. Jesus? That is okay. true. Yeah. That is true. Um <laughs> look at us go. Well, I would like to just say, first of all, glad to be here with you guys. Can't believe we made it to episode 100. But Same. I sort of can, but I'm also like, wow, how did we do that? Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Secondly, our drinks were bought this week by our brand new patrons, especially for episode 100, Michelle and Jake. Welcome, you guys. Looking forward to getting to know you a little bit more. And thank you for supporting us. Uh, it's I feel like a broken record when I say it's wild that random strangers find us and love what we do and want to support us and be a part of it. So yeah. It's yeah. Cheers so to you guys. Neat. Thanks for the drinks. Yeah. And then very quickly become not strangers. I love that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Speaking of not strangers, uh, this is going to be a mailbag episode and we have a handful of voice memos sent in by our patrons. And we also have a small amount of DMS that we got from people about things that they are raveling out. So I think we should just kick it off because I have read the DMs myself, but you guys have not. And I've listened to one of the voice memos and uh, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm excited. Yeah, but we have plenty ahead of us. So we do. Yes. We're going to kick off with one of our first community members uh, with a voice memo from Courtney Clark. I grew up with the idea that there was something wrong with being human, that we were ultimately flawed and having a body, meaning to eat or survive in this body was somehow a flaw in creation. And it just led to a lot of shame around my body, around my needs, and just the basic human experience, the human existence. And I got really sick with COVID in 2020 and had long-term health complications afterwards. And I just keep coming back to this idea of just unraveling all of that and kind of building a new idea of what it means to be human, of what it means to live in a body, this idea of embodiment, um, and kind of releasing the shame that I've experienced my whole life around just humanness and learning to, rather than be ashamed of my human nature and my, the body that I live in, learning to rejoice in that and thrive in that, even with its flaws, even with illness and with having 
needs um, and recognizing that that's part of the human experience. And instead of that being a fault in creation, it's a beauty in creation and rejoicing in the fact that I get to eat food. I get to experience the sensory um, input of just having a human body and thriving in that and appreciating everything that my body is capable of even when it's not capable of some of the basic things that it should be capable of and just really learning to be human and appreciate everything that comes with being human in a body wow wow that's that's a great kickoff i think yeah me personally, I just loved her overall reflection on the whole concept of embracing like being human, especially coming from a position where it's very easy to have an ableist mindset. Mm. I think for people who do have illnesses or, you know, do have limitations as far as physical capabilities um, or even like mental health issues can be included in this as well. It can be easy for people to say, you know, God made you the way you are, but, and then like they want to throw in the, maybe there was something wrong, like previous sins or whatever that made you be who you are. And yeah, I think to have this idea of like, I can still love my body. Like it may not be the same as your body or your body or your body, but like I can love the way I'm made because. I am able to still do things and to mm. live and breathe and <laughs> make relationships and enjoy life, even if there are some limitations to that. Ah, there's a lot there. And I think that's just really beautiful for her to open up to that. I think it really speaks to me that Courtney, as someone who has gone through much suffering in the last couple of years, like she's talked about it in her voice memo a little bit on the episode she inspired for like what do we do with suffering i think that's what we titled it um and we collectively as a podcast crew we raised one thousand four hundred and fifty dollars towards courtney to give as a gift um because of some of the really intense medical things she's going through this year which by the way she wanted us to give a special thank you to everyone who read about it shared about it maybe gave some like she she's really really grateful for that gift and it just really strikes me that like one of the things that she is constantly thinking about is like the love of self and the theology of that in the midst of suffering. And that just seems really meaningful to me. I'm not really sure I have any bright revelation, but I think that Courtney thinks about self-love more than I probably do based off of the way she talks about it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's always the champion of like wanting to know what we all do for self-care practices in the discord. And gets very excited about what we share. I love that. I was thinking about some of this stuff that she was contemplating, especially what stood out to me was I get to eat food. Cause Mm. like, I think I've mentioned recently Mm. that I've been like, uh, trying to, I've been doing some work about my, around my relationship with food and that really stood out to me. But also I think I have been coming back a lot to, you know, when I, have moments of uh big shame about like whether it be my body or um the way I treat it 
I think what gets all twisted up in my view of my own like self-worth and self-esteem are some of the theologies that I grew up being taught when I was like nine years old, which is just insane. But uh, I don't know if you guys saw this. I, I recently just tweeted about like total depravity and original sin like being theologies that teach we're born separated from God and hereditarily deserving of eternal hellfire. Mm -hmm. And I've just been thinking about how those teachings seem much more like lies that the enemy would be proud to have convinced us of Mm. rather than truths about our orientation to the divine, especially because in the person of Jesus, I see the incarnation as like the final affirmation that there is good and there always has been good when it comes to being human Mm. because God wanted to pick up a body himself. That's what I see in that. Like I see God desiring to be so a part of it that he wanted to become human himself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. You know, it's funny you mentioned that, like that's exactly where my brain was going. Like right. As you started talking. Oh yeah. (laughs) I think that's, that's great. I wish we could just keep talking about incarnation. Um, but I want to read, a DM now because we have a lot to go through. Oh, great. Um, so this comes from uh, one of our Instagram friends, Kendall McCullough. And they said one of the things they've been raveling out is what I can't seem to decide is if God created the universe to experience himself or if collective unconsciousness, part of the Christ mind, created the universe in a mistaken belief that we were separate from God. Oh, Thoughts? Wow. I know. Oof. I know. That was one of the shortest responses we got. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> that is just packed. <laughs> mm. Well, what I would love about this question is I think that Kendall's question, I, I, we DM'd a little bit, but I think Kendall's question is inherently couched in the idea of panentheism, as in, yes. Like, as in like not the idea of pantheism that God and the universe are the same, but that the universe is somehow within the existence of God, like almost like a donut hole sort of thing. And what I see in Kendall's question, it was, it was hard when I first read it to like really get what he was saying, I think. But what I think Kendall is saying is how should we view the causality of the universe? Like was the universe, Mm -hmm. was the framework of the universe, like the idea of the universe fundamentally created by God? Or is the framework and the idea of the universe fundamentally created by us? As in, we view the universe as separate. Mm, that's, what mm-hmm. I, that's what I was seeing the question <laughs> posed as. Whoa. Whoa. I love that reframe. Hmm. I like that too. And if that's, if that's how we're framing it, then I'm almost leaning towards the latter, which is... Mm. I, and I, but I, I can't explain why. I can't explain why. The latter being that our collective unconscious did that. Yeah. Well, that's crazy because I was leaning toward the former. But like I said, I don't know why. Maybe I just like the way that one sounds better. Sure. But I don't know if that's entirely what I believe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it does. I think it goes back to the incarnation. Honestly, like I think it's. I really like the the phrasing of, uh, like the universe, like was created for God to enjoy God's self. Did I get that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That was how it was posed. Mm-hmm. And what I love about that is 
I like I think there's a lot of mysterious things going on when it comes to our felt sense of separateness sometimes from God, but at other times we feel like completely connected and part of like dare I say the body of Christ. Like I think that idea of God wanted to make all of this so that he could image him sorry, not the gendered version. <laughs> so that God could image God's self through the universe to lovingly complete the erotic gaze through the universe, like amidst God's self, but also creating us to have a felt experience of our separateness, but just enough so that we know that something is also desiring us and loving us, you know? Mm. Mm. It's a really delicate balance, I think. It's funny you say that. I know exactly really which is. one we're going to listen to next. The oh. one that I listened to. <laughs> really? Um, you know, as you say that, I'm, I was like taking a drink and I was thinking about like, like going back to Courtney's question about embodiment and enjoying acts of self-love that like when we ingest food or drink, we are, lit- we are literally experiencing something inside of ourselves that is not ourselves, but then all of a sudden is ourselves. And I don't mean to sound like mm. super woo-woo yes. metaphysically about that, but like it is, that is like the very act of something becoming a part yeah. of something. Yeah. And so I think that the, I think Kendall's question posing is really interesting because it's so similar to some of the ideas that I think I was raised with for sure that like God created everyone to like be in relationship, but like it's kind of going a step further to like God wants to be in relationship with God's self. Like God also wants to experience Mm -hmm. things inside of God, Mm -hmm. almost in the same way that we want to have a drink. Yeah. And I've never like had that imagery in my head before. And I think I like it. I like it too. Yes, please. Thank you. I think, yep. Three for three. Mm -hmm. Okay, here we go. Uh, This comes from our friend Jeff Hall from the Patreon, all the way from Bristol, England, of all places. Greetings from Bristol, UK, to our beloved ravelers, Emily, Josh, and Stephen. I think I must be one of the most elderly and earliest of Patreon supporters, buying you a drink since however long it's been. I'm surprised with all that liquid intake, you were not under the table, as we say in England by now. Anyway, it's a joy to be here with you all for the 100th episode. And you ask the question, What's be- what beliefs have I raveled out in the last year? One would be inspired by a book called Prayer of the Cosmos, which goes through the Jesus prayer line by line, but using the Aramaic of Jesus' time. The words have a rawness and an edge, not the prayer which has been so domesticated and somewhat tamed by the King James Version, and of course because of the Bible's kingly royal status, we talk of kingdom. So these are the the first lines of our Lord's or Jesus' prayer. And in Aramaic, here we go. Abun de Boishmaya, netkadashmak, tete malkatak. Which translates as, our father, mother, womb, who lives in the heavens, your name is distinct, so don't overuse it. Come, realm of God. Come, by the way, relates to the nuptial chamber. Yes, sexual intimacy and ecstasy. In a word, orgasm. So, 
I could say that unless we've come in church, then it's probably not the realm of God. It's not the kingdom of God or the empire of God. Jesus' language is so raw, and I believe it's been tamed by translating it into Greek and then English. And I think that's been a common core of my reading for the last couple of years, actually. Um, this kind of doubting of what has actually happened, what we've been taught as orthodox Christians or what is orthodox Christianity. My second blip from orthodoxy um, comes about from reading a book after Jesus before Christianity. There are six themes in focus for this book. The early groups, which weren't orthodox believing churches, but communities of resistance. There were six common themes that they pulled out in this book. And these are there. One, they resisted the Roman Empire. Two, they practiced gender bending. Mm-hmm. They lived, number three, in chosen open families. Number four, they claimed to belong to Israel. Number five, they had diverse organizational structures. And number six, they had persisting oral and performance traditions. And yes, gender bending. Imagine that in a white evangelical church in America or Britain. I can't. Women dressing like men, not for the purposes of sexuality, but of resistance, actual resistance to the Roman archetypes of family under the Pater Familias, and modelled, of course, on Caesar's fatherly care of his empire family. There were no homogeneous group of believers, but supper clubs, schools and open families without the assigned gender role of the Roman Empire. And so I want to thank you for being part of this journey of not following the imperial model, but of getting us to think and unravel our thoughts about where we are in this day and age of deconstructions and reconstructions. Thank you for all that you do. Peace and love. I told you that was good. Oh, guess what? Two books I literally just bought on Amazon just now. <laughs> I already have my copy of After Jesus Before Christianity. I've heard about it. And then when Jeff in the Discord started being like, yep, everyone needs to read this. I was like, I'm done. I'm, I'm ordering it right now. Sold. Thank you, Jeff. Oh, Emily, I, I really want to hear your I take liter first. I literally gasped like three... I, well, first of all, I literally gasped like three times Whoa. during <laughs> listening to that because not that I was like appalled, but I was really struck by the idea of how when we translate the language and we have all these versions, it really does take away meaning and it kind of waters it down sort of speak um and i especially appreciated the line if we haven't come in church um <laughs> i i don't know how i am um, mm, yes spicy I, um yeah i maybe maybe we need to change how we're handling worship like i i i don't know but i also really liked um the seven points that he was making and the idea of gender bending um as a means of resistance to the roman like culture and strict family ideals and i think that that is so powerful and if 
people were doing it then and they had a reason to do it, I don't see why we have a problem with it now (laughs) Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's just, it just seems like there are parts of our history as Christians that we don't see. And I think that is one of them. And so when we use the Bible or religious texts to basically beat people into submission in a way that's not whole and um, authentic, then Mm. We have some serious examination to do. Well, I mean, so that happens because in that day, right, it was the church. Man, I'd love that idea of all of that being as a community of resistance to what was going on in Rome and Mm -hmm. the church, like standing under and against those things, not over and against those things, but like it's subtle, it's subversive, Mm -hmm. it's and fundamental to the identity. And fundamental to the identity. But now what we have, we have a problem in our, as Jeff said, at our white evangelical cultures is because very much the church has now, uh, now begun an adulterous affair with Rome itself, with the power itself. Right. So like when the church then becomes Rome or Babylon, right? Like this is why we call the whore of Babylon that in the prophets and in revelation. Right. Mm hmm. So if the church gets co-opted or the church like weds its identity to the over uh, like power over structure, then it's going to be the church that has a problem. So is it really the church at that point? Because now those of us who are gender bending on our side of things that don't identify as part of the church, are we the I don't know. Are we the real church? What's happening? Well, and uh, (laughs) Emily, to your point, like. No wonder they wanted to kill Jesus with inflammatory language like that. Yeah. Like, nobody wants to kill a megachurch pastor. They're people pleasers. Nobody wants to kill Kenneth Copeland mm-hmm. or Paula White. We may want them to shut up, but no one's like plotting their assassination. Right. People wanted to kill Bonhoeffer. Right. You know, right. And it's mm-hmm. because he was opposed to empire. People killed yep. MLK, and it's because he was opposed to empire. Exactly. That's, I, wow. For a second, before we move on, I want to return to uh, his point about the Aramaic translation, which I think is really interesting. Um, like, I could see someone critiquing that, which might be fair scholarly. Like, I don't know Aramaic. I think this is the first time Aramaic has been on the podcast. Emily, do you know any Aramaic? I don't know. I do not. Okay. Just, the, just some Hebrew and Greek. Mm-hmm. So, like, I could see somebody critiquing that like a translation and connection, but also like the visceral, like sexual imagery. But like, I think it goes pretty far to say that just because Jesus may very possibly have been using sexual imagery, that doesn't mean, I don't think, I don't think that means at all that Jesus is saying you should have sex with your religious leaders to connect with God. You should have sex with lots of people to connect with God. Like he isn't, he isn't saying like throw your morals out the window, but I think it's very clear to me that what he's doing is like overturning that quiverful theology of the way that we superimpose ourselves on the culture of this world is to have as many kids as possible. And Jesus is saying that it's now happening through a different way. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that way is so embodied that it is always erotic in our worship practices. Mm -hmm. And erotic doesn't need need to mean sexual. No. I think that erotic is so much more right it's, it's i would argue sensual. it means spirit filled yes. like going back to courtney's point about embodiment agreed yeah it's, it's intimate like you can be intimate and have it not be sexual 100 percent. well 
Wow. Thank you, Jeff. Amazing. <laughs> no, wasn't that a banger? Um, next up, let's read a little bit from <laughs> another one of our Instagram f- new friends. Uh, this is Melissa from Dandelion Marketplace on Instagram. And her thoughts were, I am an ordained person, and I've been wrestling with the concept of ordination lately. Like, there's mm. value in having an educated person who has studied and had experience leading to be considered a spiritual leader. But at the same time, what do credentials even mean and why? Emily? Hot take time. Well, As the only ordained person on this show so I understand. I understand the struggle of like, what do the credentials actually do? But I also look at it as if I'm going to go to a hospital, I want someone who's had the practice and who has some sense more than I of what's going on, because we're all capable of Googling, you know, do I have cancer? Mm. And we can look at, you know, WebMD and find all the things. But that doesn't mean we're actually literate and have the knowledge of understanding what the symptoms are the prognosis, things like that. Mm. I think the same can be applied when it comes to understanding theology. Like everyone is a theologian, but there are people who go a little more in depth and (laughs) study the ancient languages and use that to help others, much like a doctor helping a patient. Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I understand the pain of ordination because it is daunting and long and stressful And then you wonder, was it really all worth it? And I know for me, it was definitely worth it. I I myself feel like I deserved it because I worked for it. And I knew that I was still going to be part of the flock. Like I'm a sheepdog in in the whole shepherd analogy. I'm part of the flock, but I'm like partially different to the rest of the sheep. Um, That. That's cool. I've never thought of the sheepdog yeah. being part of the flock itself. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. I really like that metaphor. Well, thank you. I to to echo you, my sister in Christ. <laughs> um, Hallelujah. I'm I'm sorry to keep plugging my own tweets, but I did just recently tweet <laughs> that it's it's kind of sus that the do your own research crowd doesn't think to trust the people who are literally trained in doing their own research. Yeah. <laughs> And I think that's what you're saying, Emily. I think like I've you've gone through the steps, you know, right. You you know where to find the information, which is a, a huge part of us learning anything nowadays. Mm-hmm. But also you've gone through the critical steps of like learning that process. Yeah. Um, like your education was a lot more than just tests on the facts or the theories. It was. It was the meta education of learning how to learn. Mm-hmm. And that's what you've been through for six years through a bachelor's and an MDiv, right? Seven years. Thank you. Thank you for the correction. I don't want to take a year for, away from you. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My mind goes to, I, I think, Emily, I don't remember exactly what you said, but in one of your sentences, you teased uh, like medical profession, I think. And mm-hmm. it like gave me this imagery of, like everybody practices medicine. Like we should all know first aid and how to take care of ourselves. And the good doctor, I'm going to get parabolic here. The good doctor enables people to take care of themselves so that they only have to see the doctor once a year. And I think it would be such a mind shift in American Christianity if 
we saw clergy, including clergy seeing themselves, in a way that I think you definitely embody. I think that it would do wonders if we saw clergy as people who know the methodology that can be given and not necessarily the answers. You know the methodology mm. of religion mm-hmm. and study and practice. Oh, that's good. That's good. And it is up to us to implement it. But we shouldn't look to, no offense, but we shouldn't look to just you for the answers, even though you are super intelligent and you know what directions to point. No, exactly. Like, yeah, I don't know. That's just kind of sitting with me. And I like that. I really like that, Josh. I am right on board with you. So, Melissa, please enjoy your ordination. You have permission to enjoy the fact that you worked so hard for it. But you also have permission to be frustrated. Mm. Mm. Because I like I do. I I get it. Yeah. (laughs) And you have permission to identify with us normal people like Josh and me who just like thinking about this stuff. Mm -hmm. And we don't necessarily know all the methodology. We don't know Aramaic, Greek or Hebrew. But I think we can hold our own, you know, like we clearly do thinking about this stuff. Yeah. Shall we hear another voice memo? Yeah. Who do we have next? Next, we have our friend Tyler, the provider of our wonderful beers from our care packages. Oh, Lovely. Delicious. Here we go. I'm Tyler. I'm from Finley, Ohio, and I've been a Raveler for a while now. Um, I would say that I've been kind of deconstructing beliefs progressively over the past 12 years that I've been a Christian. In the past couple of years, even more so, I think probably the biggest thing has been dismantling a, a sense of Christian supremacy, sort of this idea that everyone else is wrong and I need to show them the right way. And part of that has even been dismantling an idea that there is a right way that I need to convince anyone of because as I've as I have raveled out my thoughts I've had the urge to like tell people who think the way that I used to think that oh no this is what's actually true when I've just arrived at different conclusions than what I used to be at and I might arrive at different ones later I've always drawn from multiple streams um I've always taken a lot of wisdom from Buddhism and from Taoism and even some from Sufi Islam. Um, But now I think it's even more of a trying to find truth together with everyone, knowing that we are all siblings and that we are all seeking the same truth regardless of where we're currently at now or regardless of what conclusions we come to. Yo, I really resonate with that. Mm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like I so I've really been thinking about this lately, actually, and maybe we should just make this an episode soon. Although I'm just like my list is just getting longer. I don't know about yours, but same. Yeah. Um, Oops. So, yeah, like I almost in like traditional classic Christian format. Like, I 100% believe objective truth is out there. And, like, we should seek truth. And the more that we seek truth, the more it will be revealed to us. And I, like, I fundamentally believe that, especially about people I disagree with. Like, I don't think I have everything 100% right either. Like, I think I'm going to look back five years later, and I'm going to look back at things I said on the show, and I'm going to be like, ooh, I don't have that perspective anymore. Like, I've changed that. Maybe I've flip-flopped completely. But, like, I fundamentally believe 
that we should encourage everyone to seek truth. And I, th- I think that that's like stayed constant for me. Like even as much as my beliefs have changed in some aspects, like I still believe like what Tyler is saying, like together we can seek truth. Like even if we disagree fundamentally about something, like we should both be interested in seeking truth. Like mm-hmm. both sides think they're right. So like, therefore, like, like say it's a polarized issue. Both sides think they're right. So therefore, like one of them, at least one of them has to be wrong. Like at least, if not both of them being at least partially misinformed. And I think that the more that we lean in, like not to just sound like the enlightened centrist, but I think that the more that we lean into those issues, the more we should expect to find truth. Yeah, I don't know. It's just like, I like like thinking about that. mm, Philosophy. Mm. Mm. Yes, yes, absolutely. I really resonate with the feeling of like, I... I'm so excited about the perspectives I have now that I still have the same like <laughs> evangelical drive to share what I think is the most life-giving version of Jesus yeah. that I hold right now. And like, totally. I, mm-hmm. I, I processed that a little bit on, uh, on my episode with Transregret Snoopy when we talked about Ephesians was like, uh, toward the end of the episode, I was like, man, if someone has listened to this episode and they aren't feeling like excited or lured or drawn by this version of God, then I I'm sorry. I feel like I've done you a disservice, but like I'm always struggling with that idea of like, but my ideas right now are so good that everyone should think this way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's really hard. Cause I think that's just, that's kind of the metaphysical uh, soup that I was uh, simmered in was you have an idea. You should go change people's mind to be more like yours metanoia thank you Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. great plug emily what do you think what do you think of all this i think if we were all to believe in the same thing then we would all be the same person like we would all be the same race and the same gender and sexual orientation and like that's clearly not the case which means we're going to have a difference of beliefs but who's to say they can't all exist and all be correct? <laughs> that kind of reminds me of where we kind of landed when we were talking about denominational diversity of like mm. a lot mm-hmm. of those attitudes serve the world in different ways. And I think if we're charitable, we can find places where they all fit to make the world a better place together, you know? Emily, I didn't really like think about it this explicitly until you said it, but the disciples did not believe the same things Jesus did. Like Jesus, right, if we believe right. Jesus is God, Jesus knew more than the disciples. He didn't have time to teach them everything. He wasn't worried about teaching them everything. And I think that, mm-hmm. like, I don't actually know if uh, Greg Boyd talks about this in his idea of accommodationism, but like God accommodating our incomplete views of God to lead us closer to God. Like the the idea of the God human leading a group of people towards him but knowing that time is limited and can't teach them everything to me that just like screams accommodation like it's it's not about getting it all at once it's it's about the the trajectory and the path that you're on Mm -hmm. we just want to say how honored we are that you listen to ravel seriously there's a lot of great shows out there and we're grateful to be in your feed 
Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. Ravel is a founding podcast of the Heinlein Media Network. And here's a word from one of our sister shows, No Normal People. I honestly have been immensely not busy, full. My life has been very full engaged. lately. Yeah. Yes, very engaged, but also doing something I love, right? Yeah. So it's like, I'm not like doing a job I hate and yeah. like staying up late hours. I'm doing something I'm very passionate about and very excited about. That's great. And so I would say probably right now, it's really what I do for fun is kind of probably crafting my craft yeah <laughs> i suppose um but just like learning about teaching and learning about music mm. and learning about how to present that and also just speaking of paths i think we should hear from my good buddy aaron who listens to the show he uh gives a dm to read this is from uh aaron fisher he makes some cool art on instagram check it out Aaron says, I find that I don't have control over what I do and don't believe to be true. I can only honestly look within and observe what I understand to be true. As a result, my understanding of what it means to be a Christian has shifted away from meaning, quote, affirm the historical validity of the claims of the Gospels. It seems deeply unhealthy to try and force myself to believe any particular thing. Rather, I've found, quote, Choosing to engage with the story of Christ, quote, to be a much better metric for calling myself a Christian. What I believe can change day to day, but I can always choose to interact with the story of Jesus and allow the narrative to move me as if it's true. When I read any text generously, even fiction, my brain will engage with the narrative as if it's real. I can feel sadness, oh. fear, embarrassment, and joy, regardless of a text's empirical reality. I think choosing to engage is all that's asked of us. Aaron, mm. can we put that any better? My heart's like melting. That's so good. I don't think so. Wow. Yeah, I, re I really relate to that too. As if it's true. I'm going gonna, I'm mm -hmm. gonna to be sitting with that for a while. I mean, I feel like we've also like, we, I feel like at least for me, we keep coming back to this in the show too, that like, like the relationship between faith and doubt and the act and practice of believing something, even though you, you cannot prove that it's true. Mm -hmm. <sighs> yeah. And what needs to be true about a narrative or a story in order for it to transform the way you live, right? Like 
the story right. told right. by A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens has changed my life. I don't need those mm. characters to be real or historical figures that have birth certificates and death certificates in our very real world to in order for them to teach me something. Well, and look at like fiction works, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, Star Wars. Like, yes. There are stories and characters that we identify with and we feel their pains and their joys and their sorrows and their weirdos and like, yeah, they don't have to be true. But the fact that we can relate, there's something there. So I think the story of Jesus is one that we can relate. And I, I just think that's so beautiful, Aaron. Agreed. Wow. I think to move it to the next one here, we have a voice memo from our newest patron that we shouted out just moments ago in the intro. Here's Jacob's thoughts. Hello, my name is Jacob. Um, and this past year, I've been raveling out uh, what it means to do meaningful ministry work. Because um, I find it really off-putting um, in a lot of the ways in which I have seen it not been great. Um, I grew up uh, I grew up in a mega church kind of fashion, which nothing against mega churches. Uh, I'm just not a huge fan. Um, and kind of grew up in a church where uh, the meaningful aspect was, oh well, you're to uh, grow your relationship with God and uh, go invite people to church, and that is your that's that's what it means to be a Christian, um, which is problematic for a couple of reasons. One because I was never told what I wasn't really given super clear instructions on how to grow my relationship with God. It was kind of just read your Bible and pray, um, which is I'm not saying that's not beneficial, um, but not as deep as um, uh, as I've kind of understand that now. Um, this is where I'm at now. And so, as someone who has just graduated college and is wanting to enter into ministry, um, this past year I was really raffling through, like, what does it mean to do ministry well? What does it mean to to actually step into a church with real physical people around you and um, to allow God to work in that space? And it's funny because I feel like... Um, This show has been a part of of that raveling process for me, um, because uh, a lot of what I did my senior year of college was I led a small group, uh, not specifically a small group, it was a Christian small group, um, that's just what we called the meetings that happened on Friday mornings, um, but it was an interfaith uh, gathering where we would all get together and sit down. All of us with our varying beliefs from agnostic to Buddhism to Christianity, all that stuff. Um, and we would talk about a topic or an idea. And it became this discussion where maybe I would, I would ask guiding questions to facilitate. Um, but the point was to learn from one another and to grow closer to each other while also having a serious conversation to understand each other better. Um, and a lot of that has kind of led into the kind of youth leader that I want to be. Um, 
I want to facilitate areas of discussion. And so I've been raffling out, well, how do I do that? And is this biblical? Should I be giving a, a lesson? Um, which, fun fact, uh, no. I've already decided that I'm not going to preach at high schoolers. Uh, they're already getting a sermon on Sunday. Um, but, like, how do I create spaces to, to build these skills of really deep uh, biblical study not like deep as in like super exegetical things, but like, you know, understanding context and understanding like, oh, this book was written for a people that was, you know, thousands of years ago. Not necessarily for us. Um, I'm rambling at this point. But I think it's just I, I want to create a meaningful space. And so I've been raveling out what does it mean to have a meaningful space at church? Whoa, that mm. is poignant. Mm. I mm. oh man. I could like feel the tension. That what a what a like viscerally honest question. Yeah. We should mention, Emily, too, that uh our friend Jacob here is now a youth director at in the United Methodist Church. Ayo <laughs> UMC. UMC. Indeed. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um oh. Well, to have something mean meaningful, in my opinion, you got to have connection, like mm. relations and like a setting aside of yourself in order to fill the needs of others. And so I think when we understand that people's needs change and spaces change, we can evolve our relationships and connections as they change. But we got to have relationships and connections if we want something to be meaningful. And so I think in the realm of ministry, I mean, yeah, you can give a homeless person food, but like if there's no meaning, like if you're if you're just throwing the the food in their face and being like, God loves you and like you're just you're creating this space where there's no meaningful connection. Um there are many ways that ministry falls apart when we don't have meaning and when we don't have connection, relationships, a setting aside of ourselves. Is it really ministry at that point or is it more of a self-glorification? Emily, I like your point about uh, like pushing back on your own ego and like self-gratification in that process. But I, I'm going to push back against a little bit against your example with giving a homeless person food, which... I think we should just have a discussion about this sometime because I think this is a great subject that honestly I keep thinking about and I like keep wrestling with myself. But like all that to say, I think that there is a huge value in these like kind of micro social transactions. Like whether you are a barista in a coffee shop or you are uh, facilitating something between a beggar and a giver or you are or even if it's not transactional, even if you are like clinking grocery carts in the grocery store, like I think that in these microtransactions, there's such a huge opportunity to like create these meaningful moments. Like I I I see what you're saying about like connection and long-term relationship, which is totally valuable, but I think that there's there can be such a huge like moment of catalyst to not like put the focus on yourself, but to like create something in that moment that was like unique and was only created by the people in that moment. And for one person could be pivotal. Like, maybe somebody is having the shittiest day at work, and you 
happened to be the only person who asked them about their day back. But that's but that's connection. That's what I mean. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I just think that like relationship can also be like like very temporary. Oh, well, and we know that. Like we all experience temporary relationships. But if you're not willing to have that space to have connection, like if you're gonna look someone in the face while giving them a sandwich and not recognize the humanity in them and see that you're filling a need and you're just doing it for the sake of just getting it out of the way or making yourself feel better, as a lot of ministries do, because we'll hear, oh, we raised this amount of money for this charity. Look how great we are versus we raised a lot of money for this charity. Isn't it great that this charity can now use the money to do all these things? Like there's a way you can have relationship even in the short term. But if you're not willing to actually have it be meaningful, then it's not ministry. Okay, I 100% agree. Mm. Yep. I really resonate with the desire to make it meaningful. Mm. Yeah, I'll say it that way, just because I am a person who can pretty dramatically struggle with things like imposter syndrome myself. And a hundred episodes of Ravel, and we've made something meaningful. And that's just like... I'm I'm really tempted to use some platitudes of like, Jacob, I think you're absolutely on the right track of making the your youth ministry and your youth group. Maybe it's like what you wanted from your youth group when you were that age mm. and you didn't get mm-hmm. that, but now you're creating that for other people. I'm also tempted to use a platitude along the lines of, I truly think that the mere fact that you're worried about it, I think means you will make it meaningful for the Mm. people that are under your care Mm. Uh, because you're tuned into what is making them feel at home and making them feel safe. Like I personally, I have many problems with the theologies that I was given by my youth leaders and by my youth pastor when I was that age. But I can truly say some of my best memories were fostered because of those people in that position of leadership, creating a space for me to feel welcome and at home and safe Mm -hmm. with them as my leader and creating the space that I, I needed as a teenage boy, you know? So I think your quest for making meaning for kids especially man like you're doing the lord's work because teenagers are tricky i know i was one of them um mm -hmm. and all of us just want to feel like we belong somewhere all of us want to feel loved and desired and yeah uh welcomed and we want to be greeted with that smile and like asked how our day was going like josh was saying like we all just want to know that someone's paying attention and I think you're already paying attention. I was just talking with someone, 100% agree, Stephen. I was just talking with someone the other day about wild, crazy youth group games. Like, there's this one where you, like, put some, like, raw fish in this, like, PVC pipe, and then one, two people are on each end, and you just, like, blow until it ends up in each other's mouth, and it just always ends in vomiting. Oh, but, like, my why, God. Like, why? Like, That's a core memory, though. Like, it's That's one what I'm th- saying. Yeah, Okay, total, yes. A core memory, like, you might tell the story, but, like, is that is that aimed at recruitment? Like, 
Is that mm. aimed at you getting to tell the story to your friends so you're like, we got to check out this wild thing at youth group. Like, mm. nobody's doing that. <laughs> like, some of those right. youth group games that we played back in the, like, early aughts were just, like, insane. Agreed. Um, And, like, oh, yeah. Jacob, I think it truly speaks, like, miles beyond, like, to Stephen's point, that you, like, this is the kind of question you're asking versus, like, mm-hmm. man, what can we do to just, like, get kids to show up? Like, what? What do we have to mm. do? Like, do we have to like give away a pair of AirPods every week? Like, you're totally pushing it back that that status quo of like just pump up the numbers um, and, and like you're trying to like infuse meaning into these little adult conscious brains. Like quality over yeah, quantity. Great mm-hmm. job. Yes. And you know that what they need is not a sermon. I yes. love that. Mm. That's so good. And maybe in the future they will. Too, but I also love the like self actualization of like I don't think these kids right now need that. Yeah, agreed. Mm-hmm. Mm. Huge, so good. Good on you. Yes, indeed. Well, should we move on to our last voice memo of the eve of the day? Our last one. We shall surprise guest my wife, <gasps> who is also ordained. Stop. It's Dixie Lee Henning, the best guest you've ever had on the show. Um, I wanted to jump on and give you my uh, 72 cents um, about something that I've been working through. In the, I'm not going to eat. I'm eating dinner. And also Steven's sitting right next to me. Hi. Um, Inception, a podcast within a podcast. Anyway, um, the thing that I have been working through is uh, masculinity in the church, specifically a, a woman's place in a relationship with a God-fearing man. And Stephen can attest to this, that... For the majority of the beginning of our marriage, I was very much like, I don't want to vote because I don't feel like my opinion matters. And also, the man of the house is making the decisions for me as well. I mean, we talked. We made decisions together. But very much so, I was like, I'm not going to vote because Stephen has already voted and we agree on these things. Um, And I also would let him make big decisions on his own. Like, we would talk about it, but I would always be like, in the end, it is your decision. It is up to you because you're the man of the house. And in the last few years, I have come to the realization that... Uh, men suck. <laughs> Not Steven. No offense, babe. No, we do. <laughs> like, just, just like, capital M, the man. Man, men are the worst, and uh, just, I, I'm having a lot of difficulty raveling out the specific scriptures that say things like women shouldn't preach and women should be silent um, and women should be subject to men uh, you know the classic Proverbs 31 woman um, and all of that stuff uh, yeah that's that's pretty much pretty much it anyway love you guys bye
I cameoed inside the thing. <laughs> you could have talked Crazy. to yourself and you did not. Yeah, it's true. I know you had such an opportunity and you missed it. Really true. Yeah. Dixie, I love your question. I don't even know if you're going to listen to this episode because I don't think you regularly listen. But I, I just love the, the highlight, like the very honest highlight of how much we think about these things and wrestle with them even like after we haven't gone to church in years, like these things like stay with us. They dig their Mm -hmm. talons in like really harmful theology affects us for life. And I think Mm -hmm. that I hate how uh, dramatic this sounds, but I think it's very brave to just face that like facing forward and be like, yeah, I'm like wrestling with this thing that like affected me for, what is still the majority of my life. And I was taught to think this way. And I'm like still realizing that I like sometimes think this way, even though I, I don't want to. And I just, I find that mm-hmm. very refreshingly honest. I'm in an interesting position where as a pastor and as a woman and Alex kind of graciously, especially being in a denomination that is an itinerant uh, church where where I'm called, like I go and he follows me. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I have a very interesting perspective because men do suck. Uh, no offense to you too. And it's true though. No, we do. No, I agree. I'm sorry. Un- I've, un- I've sucked a lot. <laughs> I am like constantly pushing against the norms of men and men being preachers. And yeah, you know, like when I go to church functions, it's like, where's my husband? Like, they don't care. Yeah. But if Alex was the pastor, they'd be like, where's Emily? Like, is she going to help out with UMW or the bake sale or choir or Sunday school? So, you know, the number of times I have tweeted and or said to someone in person on behalf of all men, I apologize is too many to count. Mm. I have <laughs> I have used that phrase way too mm. much. Because it's true, though. Very often, I'm so embarrassed by people with penises. It's stupid. It's ridiculous, honestly. <laughs> um, I think I, I feel like I have a lot of things to say in response to my wife. My wife. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I have learned a lot about her over the last few years, including the fact that she is my non-binary, she, they bisexual queen and surely that changed our dynamic um but also for me personally just raveling bad theologies like complementarianism versus egalitarianism like we've done an episode about that and that's kind of where it started before really she trusted me enough to come out to me even before she came out to her family or the world and uh i just yeah i I agree, Josh. She is brave and she is awesome. And our relationship has changed a lot, obviously, from what you could hear, because like we started our marriage under some paradigms that now both of us look back on like, whoa, so glad we've left that behind. Yeah, because I I never wanted to give her the feeling of like my thoughts matter more or my decisions matter more. But at the beginning of our marriage, it was like, well, I mean, that's what God says. And, and you know, it changes a lot of things when you realize like, oh, maybe God didn't say that. Maybe that was Paul wrestling with his own stuff. Maybe that's why Paul was single. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, dude. Yeah. I feel like it connects too with Jeff's thoughts about gender bending of like Ooh, yeah. those expectations of men in Roman culture and in American culture ought to be subversively flipped upside down within the quote unquote kingdom of God. Yeah. Like it's, it strikes me that I, I think that it actually causes more effect to be reactionary and, and possibly alternative yeah. than to just act like that thing doesn't exist. Like, I think it does more to the world potentially to talk about the way that theology has affected us and does still affect us, even if we don't identify with that theology anymore. It does more than just hiding it under a bushel. No. <laughs> like, yeah. Like we, right. like, we could just stuff it down and like heal in our own ways. And I think everyone has the right to decide mm. how they heal and what they deal with at a certain time. But I, I really think that, like, I've thought about this like for myself too, that it, I think it has the potential to give so much life to another person to hear someone say, I'm on the other side of thinking that, like I used to think that, and I now think differently, and I feel so much better. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It is refreshing. It almost gives you a sense of hope. Yeah. Mm. But I also want to acknowledge Tyler's feeling of like, I'm on the other side of that. I'm so glad I am. Mm. But also, I don't want to hold it with an air of supremacy as if where yeah. I've just arrived is mm-hmm. better. It's different, as Emily says. It's just different. It's just different. It's not good or bad. Yeah. Well, I think that's why it's good to be honest about like where we're at. Like, I think I've maybe mentioned this on the show, but like, I think that I think it's very persuasive to stay in the subjective, just to like be honest about where you are at, instead of like mm. trying to make objective, factual claims. Like, I think we often fail at that a lot of the time, like because facts are disputable. Experience should not be like you know i mean you can try but like yes you can't tell me i didn't have that dream last night feelings don't care about your facts yes exactly so like for dixie to like very viscerally be honest about like who she is now and what she thinks now compared to like what she used to think and how that's affected even how she is now like you can't in good faith deny that yeah Mm. and i think that's powerful yes And far be it from me to deny that because I feel like I'm entitled to some source of uh, power within our relationship or within our household structure Mm. because I was born with Mm. more testosterone and my gonads shaped different, you know? like I thought at first you were going to say testicles and then I was like, Mm. oh, nope, he's not going to say that. Oh, he said gonads. That's fine. That's perfect, actually. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as Jeff would say, Thanks for coming. I I really appreciate <laughs> this whole episode. Thanks for listening. Um, thanks for supporting us. This was a this was a really fun like little micro episode. Like getting our like five minute thoughts on something. This was so good. I wonder if we should do the mailbag more often. Yeah, maybe we should. You know, that's what I'm feeling. Keep the lines that's open. What I'm feeling. We can't add too many things though, or we won't get to talk. <laughs> Yeah, as if we didn't talk enough this episode. (laughs) Definitely that. That's so true. Amazing. Yeah. Thanks for coming, as Jeff would say. I love that invocation there, Josh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you guys, how have the last two years been? Maybe like a quick two minute wrap up. How how do you think how do you think we've done? I think we've done exactly what we set out to do. Yeah. 
I mean, mm. really, like, we're here to have roundtable conversation and to spark thoughts and maybe not necessarily come to conclusions, but at least have a space where we can feel open to theological conversation. And there are people who oppose and disagree, and there are those who agree, and there are those who share entirely new ideas. And that's exactly what we set out to do. Like, we don't have all the answers, but we're here to have a drink and talk it over and create relationships. And I think we've done that in a way that is very authentic and very loving. And I'm proud of us. And I love you guys. No. And I love all of you. <laughs> oh, I love you guys, too. I, like, as someone who has not been a part of church regularly over the last two years, and uh, what a unique pandemic time it's been on top of that, I have just found like so much joy and like intellectual pleasure doing this with you guys and oh i yeah i oh i love you guys it's yeah. really it's really truly wonderful and i like i look forward to it every week and i list i re-listen to it after we record <laughs> yeah and it's, it's it's very thought-provoking for me i have the pleasure of editing our time together and Reliving those moments in a way is very special to me. And I think, uh, I think as a creative outlet, podcasting has become so huge for me, so life giving. And, you know, like I could make a podcast about anything, sure. But I, I think the fact that you guys are a part of it makes it what I look forward to every time. Like I, I look forward to the long, you know, it takes like two or three hours to edit every episode, but I look forward to it because I like our flow and our dynamic and the way that you two didn't know each other at all before you agreed to start this show with me. And that feels crazy. <laughs> kind of does. Yeah. And I also think that the last two years, like right, a hundred episodes represents to me a fun, it's almost like a journaling practice. You know, like I can hop into different phases of my life now over two years and relive where I was at in December of 2020, right? In like the darkest period of my life. So like this podcast has been through, I mean, we mentioned it already, but Thea didn't even exist before the, <laughs> when this show started. And then she did. That's so true. You know, and like I... I started this show before my wife and I experienced our miscarriages mm. and we've had like job shifts on Josh's end. And I don't know. I, I love the project of podcasting because now it represents, it's almost like a journal. Like I keep thinking about it in that way of like an audio journal of where I've been in the last two years, in the last hundred episodes. And I, and I also feel like a hundred episodes represents like a hundred questions that we collectively have had. Uh-huh. But I also think of like the hundreds of other questions I still have. Yep. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think I currently have like a dozen questions <laughs> that I want to bring up sometime. Yes. And, mm -hmm. and each, like we haven't even scratched the surface. And each one feels unique. Like I'm just looking over my notes from our this conversation, like, I don't think we've done an episode about incarnation or eroticism or resistance in that sense of like early Christianity 
or even just like the concept of truth. There are so many subjects that could become episodes that have been shared by our community in the last hour. And that is so cool to me. Yeah, it's really cool. Love you guys. Love you too. Love you. Emily, how, how do you want to end episode 100? What do you, what do you want to do? 100 down, only an infinite more to go. <laughs> it seems like there's just more conversation and more opportunity to grow and engage and learn. And I think this is just one of the ways that we are able to do that. So keep throwing those questions. Keep having those doubts and coming to people and saying, hey, what do you think about this? Because that's what we're going to keep doing. And we want to be a part of it with you. Noise. Cheers to 100. And here's to hundreds more. Amen. Cheers to 100. Clink, clink, clink your glasses. And welcome to No Normal People. This is a show where we prove that the more you get to know the normal people in your life, you discover that there really are no normal people in your life. You know how there's like famous people in the world that are known very well and how they go on podcasts? Yeah. Well, we don't do marketable that. Marketable names and yeah, audience. Buzzwords, and, buzz yeah, names. Social following. Yeah. And, John yeah. Buzz. And, well, we interview people like your Uncle Terry, who collects model trains. Because he's normal. We'll even interview you, even if you don't have the cool trains that your uncle has. You can email us at nopeoplepod at gmail.com or visit our show page on www.highline.network to sign up to be on the show. And remember, the only normal people you know are the ones you don't know very well. Highline Media Network. Artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.